Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, our gospel for today is one of the strangest and most shocking of the parables of Jesus, as reported in the Gospel of Matthew. It has to do with the king who gives a wedding party for his son, invites people to come, and then they find all these excuses for not coming. And the king responds with a sort of extraordinary uh, anger, and he kills them and burns down their city. And then when he invites people from the hedgerows to come in, this poor man shows up without his wedding garment. The king upbraids him and throws him out into the uh, darkness. So people wonder what in the world this parable can mean. Many devout believers find the brutality and violence of the story hard to take. I mean... I get it. The king might have been insulted and hurt that people didn't respond to the invitation, but does that give him the warrant to kill them and then burn down their city? So I understand people's reticence about this, their concern. And then the poor guy at the end who's, who uh, is invited and finds himself without the wedding garment and is thrown out into the darkness. Well, we just begin to wonder about the sanity of this uh, king. And if we make the association that Jesus clearly intends between this king and God, well, aren't we admitting that the new atheists are right in declaring the biblical God to be something of a psychotic tyrant? So that's our problem as we enter into the consideration of this uh, story. So let me make first just a general remark, and then we'll go through the story kind of slowly. Flannery O'Connor, one of my favorite writers, the best Catholic fiction writer, I think, of the 20th century, defended her often very violent and macabre stories along these lines. In a land of the deaf, you have to shout. Meaning, in a very secularized society where people have lost a sense of God, you have to shake them into awareness with a shocking story, with, with very exaggeratedly drawn characters, with macabre and violent, shocking action. So I would say, look at this parable of Jesus. Mind you, a story. It's a story like the stories of Flannery O'Connor. Along these lines, he's using a very exaggerated narrative, exaggerated emotions and characterizations to wake us up to certain indispensable spiritual realities. What we shouldn't do is literalize the parable and turn it into a straightforward allegory, as though, okay, just as that king behaves, that's how God behaves. This, this crazy king that kills people and destroys their city because they don't respond to him, oh, that's how God reacts. Don't allegorize it or read it in a straightforward, literal way, but think along Flannery O'Connor lines. It's a story that's meant to stir us up with its exaggeration. Okay, now let's look at it in some detail. The first exaggeration which we would probably miss today, is actually the most important and is the key, I think, to the whole story. 
a king is giving a banquet for his son. So this is, yes, indeed, God the Father, the king, who's giving a banquet, wedding banquet for his son, Jesus, right? Whose purpose is to unite the human race to God. Well, in the culture of that time and place, it would be hard to imagine a more prestigious event that you're being invited by a king to the wedding of his son. I mean, there's just nothing better than that. You know, in our context, it would be like, I don't know, the president inviting you to a formal dinner at the White House for the wedding of one of his children, and it's attended by the leading figures in the society. Imagine how you get that invitation in the mail from the president to his daughter's wedding or his son's wedding, and the leading figures in the society will be there. Well, if you got that invitation, what would you do? Well, you'd think about it, wouldn't you? You'd check your calendar, or you'd see if there any conflict. No, you'd go. There's no better invitation than this. This would trump anything. You'd clear your calendar. Of course you'd go. I mean, could you imagine someone saying, getting this invitation from the president, oh, Mr. President, I'm sorry, I, I can't come. I've got another engagement that night. Or, you know, I, I'd love to, but I've already agreed to go out to dinner with my buddies that night. I mean, it, it's ridiculous, in other words, to turn down such an invitation. Well, listen now to what the people in the parable do, once we understand how important this invitation is. Some ignored the invitation and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. And some lunatics, we hear, thinking this is a story filled with exaggerations. Some lunatics actually killed the ones who sent the invitation. So again, in our context, imagine a special courier has come from the White House carrying the gracious invitation of the president, and you kill them. <laughs> See, the, the, the uh, exaggerations are all over the place, not just on the side of the king, but everyone in the story is acting in a strange way. The connection, as I said, is clear. The king here is the Lord of hosts, who has spread out for his people to share a great banquet. More to it, a wedding banquet. His son wants to marry the human race, to offer to all of us a share in the divine life. The food offered at this banquet is the best of all possible foods. It's offered in the best of places. Look at our first reading, which parallels the gospel. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will provide for all peoples a feast of rich food and choice wines, juicy rich food and pure choice wines. Who are those who send out the invitations? Well, it would be all the prophets, all the teachers of Israel, whom the Lord of hosts has sent out over the century. They've been met, see, here's the tragedy of this story. They've been met with an indifference that's simply hard to understand. Or what goes even beyond reason, they've been murdered. Think of the stories now of the prophets and emissaries of God whom the people have murdered. So that's now the texture of this thing. You're receiving the best possible invitation. 
from the highest possible person to the best thing imaginable. And what's the response? Either ho-hum, who cares, or even violent reaction. This is why the king's reaction is so over the top. What we're meant to see is not so much, oh, the king is a psychotic nut. We're meant to see how weird it is that we consistently refuse the invitation from God. That's what the story is meant to, it's meant to grab you by the shoulders and shake you. Don't you get it? Don't you see what an invitation you've received? And yet, bizarrely, you've rejected it. How do we read God's anger in the Bible? What is God's anger? It's not as falling into a snit. I know that's what the story says at the literal level, but don't literalize it. The Old Testament is filled with the same thing, isn't it? A lot of examples of, of God you know, raging in anger. But don't literalize that. God doesn't have emotions the way we do. He's not falling in and out of emotional states. God is love, right? The eternal God who never changes is love. So we shouldn't think of it as, oh, now he's in a good mood. But now I've done a bad thing, so I've put him in a bad mood. See, that gives you power over God. God's not falling in and out of states. Read his anger, as expressed throughout the Bible, including in this parable, as a metaphor for God's desire to set things right. And so the destruction of the city, which is spoken of in this parable, it's probably a reference to the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in the year 70 AD. So this Gospel of Matthew, written probably 10 or 20 years after that, reflects this terrible event. And they read it as, well, it's the result of Israel's sin. Because Israel did not respond to God's invitation, this terrible thing happened. It signals, if you want, the negativity, the spiritual destruction that follows from refusing the divine invitation. There's no calamity in life quite like this calamity. See, everybody think about that for a second. This invitation has come to everyone listening to me. It's come through the church, it's come through the sacraments, it's come through preaching, it's come through the witness of holy people. You've all received this invitation from the king to the wedding of his son. What have you said to it? Eh, I got other things to do. Eh, I'm bored with that. Eh, I'm indifferent to it. In fact, I hate religious people. I hate religion. See, see how weird that is. And what a calamity will follow from refusing the invitation. That's what's at stake here. So, go back to the story. After the refusal comes the general invitation now to everybody. So the king says to his servants, go out into the main roads, invite to the feast whomever you find, the bad and the good alike. See, what's this? But the relentless offer of grace, given not because we're good, but to the good and bad alike. Grace is grace, freely given. God invites, invites, invites. Do we refuse? Sometimes, what does he do? He responds by inviting more. Inviting, inviting, inviting. But then, and let's dwell a little bit, this puzzling detail. 
having gone into the highways and byways, having dragged in everyone available, the king comes to join his party. And he finds a man without the proper wedding garment. And he upbraids him, eventually tossing him out of the festivities. Well, what's going on here? Is the king fallen into another one of his snits? Has his dysfunctional side reasserted itself? It all seems kind of petty and unfair, doesn't it? Well, how do we decipher it? Grace and the initial acceptance of grace is essential, and it comes first. Grazia prima. But it's not enough. We've all been invited into God's household. But then we must live in accord with the rules of that house. We must dress ourselves appropriately so as to live and act in that house. That makes sense. What does the wedding garment stand for, therefore? It stands for a developed moral and spiritual life. It stands for the renewal of the entire self. See, without that renewal, one is finally no better than those who had refused the invitation in the first place. Is this making sense now? The, the anger of the king is a way of signaling the vital importance, first of responding to the invitation, and then of clothing oneself appropriately to live in the divine house. Is he over the top? Yeah, in the story he is, because Jesus wants to shake us all by the shoulders to wake us up to these essential spiritual dynamics. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.